Yeah, this morning's reading is from John chapter 9, verses 1 to 12, and is on page 1085. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spat on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they demanded. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you opened the eyes of that blind man so that he could see. Open our eyes this morning to see something of your glory and to rejoice in all that you have done for us and give us a testimony to proclaim to others, we pray. For we ask it in your name. Amen. I was wondering this morning how many would be left, but it's good to see you. Some of you may remember the film, The Sound of Music. It's hard to forget it when it's broadcast again and again almost every year. And you'll remember that in that film, Maria, the unruly nun from the Abbey, is sent to be governess to the children of Captain Von Trapp, seven of them I think there were, and uh, she falls in love with the captain and he falls in love with her. And then at one point, Maria sings to the captain. I'm not going to sing it, but she sings this. <laughs> Here you are standing there loving me, whether or not you should, so somewhere in my youth or childhood, I must have done something good. Nothing comes from nothing. Nothing ever could. So somewhere in my youth or childhood, I must have done something good. The conviction expressed in that song is quite common amongst people in the world in which we live. And it even has a name, name 
It's called karma. And the idea is that in any well-ordered universe, if I do something good, something good is going to come back to me in return. If I do something bad, then something bad is going to happen to me in return. And you may even remember that weird and rather unhelpful Muller yogurt advert in which that's taken a step further that if you do something good like eat a yogurt, something bad must happen to somebody else. Quite weird, that one. Anyway, Christians aren't immune from the same way of thinking. Indeed, perhaps we think we've got more reason to think that than anyone else. For we believe that our God is sovereign over this world that he rules over it and that he cares for it. And not a hair can fall from our heads, but God knows it. So surely, everything that happens must happen for a reason. Everything that happens must either be caused by God or at least permitted by him. This was the thinking of Job's friends. Job, that righteous man who'd sought to live a life pleasing to God, is subject to all sorts of suffering and disaster. He loses his wealth. He loses his children. He loses his health. He's sat there on the ash, t- ash heap and um, his friends come and sit with him. For three days they're silent and that was when they most comforted him because when they began to speak and they had a lot to say, they were trying to work out why this happened to poor Job and they insisted to him, you must have done something wrong, perhaps some secret sin, that nobody has seen in your life. And as a result of that, God sent this trouble on you. Poor Job. But that was the thinking of the disciples in the passage we read this morning. Jesus and his disciples are walking through the streets of Jerusalem and they come across a beggar, a blind beggar, And they discover that he has been blind from birth. And so the disciples ask him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Had this man, it's difficult to say perform some sin, when he was born blind, but maybe God had foreseen that he was going to lead a sinful life and so afflicted him with blindness in advance. Or perhaps his parents had done something and God punished them by sending them a blind son. Who sinned? It might seem a good question to you, But let me suggest to you 
that if that was the way that God worked and this world worked, we would all of us be blind. Jesus is quick to dismiss this karma theology of his disciples. He says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. You've got it all wrong, he says. You are wrong to try to assign blame for this man's disease. Jesus' focus, rather, is what can be done for this man. He says, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Jesus sees this situation as an opportunity to display something of the heart and the power of the living God. Jesus is telling his disciples that sickness, pain and death and conflict and hatred and warfare, if I can extend that, are all part of this world in which we live. They're part of the fabric of this broken world. And they affect each one of us alike. I have suffered with heart trouble. I hope none of you have been wondering, what did he do to deserve that? And this may not come as any shock to you, but let me tell you, I will die. I do not know when, but I will die unless the Lord Jesus comes before. And so will each of you. It afflicts us all alike. This is the world in which we live. It's a broken world. It's a sad world. It's a world full of misfortunes and pain. It's not the world we would like it to be. It's not the world of Dr. Pangloss, if you know anything of him. And it's not the world that God wants it to be. Jesus' concern is to show something of the heart of God for a broken world. He goes on to say to his disciples, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. Jesus has come into the world to do the work of God and to display what God wants for this poor broken world. And so what does Jesus do? Well, he spits on the dust of the ground and makes his spit and the dust into mud. And he smears it on the eyes of this man. It's not very nice, is it really? But he tells the man then to go and wash it off at the pool of Siloam. And when the man washes off this mud, he can see. Does that remind you of anything, what Jesus did? In Genesis chapter 2, we read how God created the first human beings in the picture language of Genesis 2. God took dust from the earth 
and he made it into a man. And he breathed into this dust the breath of life and it was a living being. Dust of the earth and the life of God together make the life of a first man. And Jesus is doing the same. He's taking dust from the ground and with his spittle, the very life that comes from him, he's making mud, clay, and he's making, as it were, symbolically, new eyes for the man. Eyes that are filled with life. Eyes that can see. Eyes that work the way they should work. He's displaying the work of God, the creative power of God, the life-giving power of God. This man's healing is referred to later in this chapter as a sign. It's a sign. We see signs all the time, don't we? Uh, Road signs, all sorts of signs. We need to know what they mean, otherwise they're meaningless. So what is this a sign of? What does it mean? Well, it's a sign of three things. Firstly, it's a sign of who Jesus is. Jesus does things which God alone can do. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor, says Jesus, to the messengers from John the Baptist. This is the things he is doing, things that God alone can do. And more than that, Jesus is the one who forgives sins, who does things God alone can do. And later, in his conflict with the Jewish leaders over this very miracle, he says to them, I and the Father are one. And they take up stones to stone him, because he, a man, is claiming to be God. And so indeed he does. He says to his own disciples, Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus is the living God come in human form and he displays the power of God in what he does. It's a sign of who Jesus is. And secondly, it's a sign of what Jesus came to do. When God looked upon this broken world, the world he made and the world he loves, he was filled with compassion for it and determined to heal a broken world and to put it right. And he sent his son into the world to be saviour of the world. Jesus came into the world to mend this broken world, to put it to rights, to transform it into a world that was fit to be the dwelling place of God with his people. And that healing, that mending of the broken world, required Jesus himself to become like us, to take on human form, 
and even to be broken along with this broken world. And there on the cross, when he died in agony and pain, Jesus, God made flesh, was broken by the brokenness of this world. And when he was raised from the dead, he was the beginning of the new creation the beginning of a world made new, a world mended, a world in which the blind will see, the lame will walk, a world in which at last there will be no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears, no more war, no more conflict, no more death. The healing of this blind man is a foretaste of all that Christ accomplished through his cross and resurrection. It's a foretaste of all that shall be when he at last appears and when there is a new heavens and a new earth. It's a sign of what, who Jesus is it's a sign of what he came to do. But thirdly, it's a sign of how we should live. I wonder whether you notice the words of the Lord Jesus. They're so very significant. In response to the disciples' question, Jesus did not say, as long as it is day, I must do the work of him who sent me. He said... As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. He embraces his disciples in this task, his task of mending a broken world. Night is coming. While I am with you, I am the light of the world. So when he is taken away, who is the light of the world? Why, we are. Jesus said it in the Sermon on the Mount. His people are also the light of the world. We are to do the works of him who sent us. Now, I don't think many of us have power to raise the dead or often to heal disease. God does work miracles. Miracles in answer to prayer. But still, we live in a broken world in which there is no final cure here for disease or death. But in our way, through the power of the Spirit of the risen Christ in us, we are to bring healing to a broken world faced with the pain of a broken world around us. We are to resist the temptation to say, whose fault is that? Whose fault is that? Jesus came into the world not to judge the world, but to save it. And he calls us to do the same. To be a people who bring his salvation, his healing, to a world that is broken. to care for the sick, to care for the dying, to be those who bring reconciliation to those who are at war one with another, 
to care for the poor and to care for our ravaged planet and to seek to bring healing to a world that we have torn apart. Let's make that our prayer and our active purpose. And I ask that we could sing a song that I don't think we sing often, but Graham Kendrick's Beauty for Brokenness, which this song is also part of my sermon, and it should be part of our response to God's word this morning.